Today's daf is Kavchet in Masechet Beta. We are at the very top of Kavchet Amud Aleph with the Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Shokel Adam Basar Keneged Akleo Keneged Akopitz. V'chachamim Amurim, En Mashkechin Bekaf Moznaim Kolikar. Rabbi Yehuda says that a person can measure. See, measuring is something that is Asur Midr Rabbanan. It's a rabbinical prohibition because it's Maasechol. It is a weekday activity, it's a commercial activity. So uh, a person can weigh meat, according to Rabbi Huda, using something as the counterweight that is a vessel that he knows the approximate weight of, or a cleaver of meat, he can use that, but he shouldn't use the weight that's normally used on the other side of the scale. Chachamim say, don't, we don't use or a, we don't use a scale at all. Not even if we change the counterweight to something unusual, we never use anything, uh, we never use the, uh, the scale at all to measure meat on Yom Tov. The Gemara says, My kolika, what do the Chachamim mean when they say we do not involve ourselves at all with a scale? Even if you just wanted to put the meat onto the scale in order to keep it away from mice, uh, we wouldn't do that. In other, and in other words, because the scale is suspended, uh, so you would think that by putting it up there, uh, you would uh, uh, you would keep it safe from the mice. That would be okay. You can't use it. That's only if the scale is actually uh, uh, is is actually you know hanging in the manner that it normally does. Rashi says In other words, if it's hanging the way that it normally does when you use the scale. Uh, and so you put the meat on there as if you were putting it on to weigh it. Even though your intention is to keep it away from the mice, it still looks like you're doing an act of weighing, so you wouldn't be able to use that way. But if it was like dismantled or something like that, or you used it in an unusual manner uh, to protect the meat from the uh, from the mice, then it would be okay. So you can't put it on there in the way that it's normally used when you are measuring with it. A, um, an expert... Uh, an expert butcher should not even weigh meat with his hand. Rashi says, The way that Rashi interprets it is, it means he can't hold the weight in one hand and the meat in the other hand and determine, based on his instinct, whether it's the same measurement or not. Uh, the Rambam seems to say that he can't even do it with one hand. In other words, put the meat in one hand and guess, oh, this is such and such um, ounces, or as they say here in Israel, such and such kilos. Can't do that. It's prohibited to make a handle in the meat. So Rashi says that what they used to do is make a hole in the meat to allow the person to carry it home, holding it that way. Uh, and uh, and that was a uh, you know for the convenience so to speak of the customer to take it home. It's considered a a, a commercial activity, a weekday activity, and it's not allowed. As we've learned before, it was possible in in theory to buy meat basically from a butcher on Yom Tov without discussing prices, without handling money, obviously, without. Um, engaging in the prohibited activity and then just pay afterwards. But the problem was it couldn't be done in a way that looked like the commercial way and one of them would be cutting an opening in the meat, uh, like a handle in the meat to carry it home. However, if it's done with the hand, in other words, you poke the hole in the meat with the hand, it would be okay. Just don't do it with a knife the way that it's done professionally. It's okay to make a sign in the meat. He would cut the meat into a triangle. And the reason for this was to be able to identify the meat that he had sent home. If he sent meat home from the butcher, they would know that it was something that he sent because that was his signature 
design that he put in the meat so nobody would confuse it with any other meat and it wouldn't end up having any kashrut problems or other problems because of a failure to be able to identify it. It said that Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Shimon, the son of Rabbi Yudha Nasi, would measure a mane against a mane biyom tov. In other words, they would take a, uh, something that they knew the weight of already and they would measure the piece of meat and see whether it was, whether it matched up to, uh, uh, to the, uh, the other piece of meat um, that they already knew, uh, where, where they already knew its weight. Kiman, um, so according to whom it, were they doing this? It doesn't follow Rabbi Yudan, it doesn't follow the rabbis, because because according to Rabbi Yudan, the only thing he said you're allowed to use as a counterweight when you measure meat is some kind of a vessel that's a really unusual thing, but not anything else, not another piece of meat. And according to the rabbis, you're not allowed to use a scale at all, so you wouldn't be able to measure anything. Not even with another previously weighed piece of meat. So in Odavod Rabbi Yoshua, they were following Rabbi Yoshua. The Tanya Rabbi Yoshua Omer Shuklin Maneken Deg Mareh Biyom Tov. According to Rabbi Yoshua, you're allowed to measure a piece of meat against another piece of meat on Yom Tov. In other words, if you already have a piece of meat that you know the weight, you can put that as the counterweight and put the new piece of meat on and say this matches this, and thereby know the amount of meat you're dealing with. So when Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Shimon Berabi would want to divide up meat and make sure that each one got an even amount, they would use as as a counterweight on the scale. Um, this other piece of meat that was previously measured. Because we learn the same concept in Masechet Bechorot as what Rabbi Yoshua says about Yom Tov. It's not as we learned in the Mishnah. When you have a, um, a uh, korban that becomes blemished, so normally it is redeemed, the money goes to Hekdesh, and the animal goes out to Chulin, it becomes a, a redeemed animal. There are certain restrictions on what you can do with the redeemed animal, but basically it is permitted for secular use, and for secular consumption at least, once it's redeemed. So when you would auction it off in the market, you would auction it off for, uh, you know, in a normal way. Hanatan Hekdesh, Vishoklin, but we measure a piece of meat against the piece of meat when it comes to a bechol. Now, what's the difference? Now, when it comes to a suleya mukdashim, when it comes to other korbanot that are uh, that are um, uh, redeemed, so we're allowed to sell them in the market and measure them the normal way. Because at the end of the day, even though the money has already been paid to the hekdesh, because basically when it has a uh, when it has a uh, blemish, so the owners then would redeem it with money, give the money to hekdesh, and take the, the animal, but the price that they would have to pay Hekadesh to redeem it is going to be based on what the projected market value is going to be. So therefore, the halacha allows you to sell it in the market according to its full value as any other meat would be sold because that way, the amount that you're going to have to pay to redeem it is going to be higher. It's going to be reflective of what you're going to be able to get for it. But when it comes to a bechor, a bechor is not sold, um, you know, the money is not, it's not redeemed for money, the money doesn't go to Hekdesh. So if a Bukhor ends up having a mum, the only benefit is uh, to the Kohen. There's no other benefit uh, that, you know, that goes to the Bet HaMikdash as a result of selling it, um, you know, in a market uh, situation. So therefore, we don't allow the, the meat to be sold um, in a... Uh, in the market in a normal way because there's no advantage to Hekdesh. For that, rather, we allow only for the, the meat to be measured. In other words, if you want to make sure that the meat is being given out in its proper proportion, 
you have to uh, measure it against a previously measured piece of meat, a piece of meat that you already know the measurement of, rather than putting it on a scale to um, to uh, uh, to determine its weight uh, when you uh, when you divide it up. So the um, so therefore the uh, the point is that you see that measuring meat against another piece of meat that's previously been measured is not considered measuring in the marketplace because it's allowed for a bechor to do that, even though it's not allowed normally to measure a bechor in the commercial manner. So, so therefore you see that Rabbi Yoshua is right, that since you see that by bechor we allow you to measure a piece of meat against a previously uh, me- measured piece of meat. So, so do you can do that on Yom Tov because it's not considered measuring. But Amar Abay Abay said, not necessarily. Not necessarily do the two things go together because The reason why Rabbi Yoshua says by Yom Tov that you're allowed to measure against a previously measured piece of meat could just be because there's nothing regarding Korbanot over here. It's just about Yom Tov. But maybe you would say by Bukhor you can't even do that. Inami, alternatively, you could flip it around and say, You could say that over there, the reason why the rabbis allow you to measure the Bechor's meat against a previously measured piece of meat is because it, there's no issue of weekday activity with regard to the Bechor, because it's not Yom Tov. But over here, uh, when, we, when it comes to Yom Tov, and we have to be concerned about looking like we're engaged in a normal commercial activity, a mundane activity, you're not allowed to do it. In other words, the two things don't necessarily go, go together. Just because something's allowed for Bechor doesn't mean it's allowed for Yom Tov. Just because something's allowed for Yom Tov doesn't mean it's allowed for Bukhor. But the main point was that Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Shimon Berabi definitely thought that that was what needed to be done, that they could, or that was allowed to be done, that they could measure a piece of meat against a previously existing piece of meat. Let's say a one-pound piece of meat. They knew it was one pound, so they measured the meat of the animal that they just slaughtered on Yom Tov. They wanted to split it sep- They wanted to split it evenly, so each pound they would measure against this uh, previously measured pound, and that way know that they're getting the right amount. But the thing is like this. Obviously, they thought that was permitted, but the implication is that they were so strict with each other that they wanted to make sure that they divided things up exactly right. But we know, and the point is that we know that that Rabbi's family and Rabbi Chia were so close that there was no resentment between them. That Rabbi, it wouldn't be normal for Rabbi Chiyan, Rabbi Shimon, the son of, uh, of Rabbi, to be so particular about the amount that is, was divided um, um, uh, between them of meat. Because one time there was a story that there were seven fish in the house of Rabbi. And it turned out that Rabbi Chiyan took five out of the seven, left only two for the uh, for Rabbi's household. And the son of Rabbi didn't even mind. He said, okay, Rabbi Chia took it, no problem. So they didn't care. They weren't so strict with each other when it came to dividing things up. So it couldn't be that they would be so particular. So rather, you have to change one of these names here. So either you have to take out Rabbi Chia from the story or you have to take Rabbi Shimon Rabbi out of the story and put one of the other rabbis. If it's Rabbi Chia, then it was Rabbi Shmuel, the son of Rabbi Yossi. And if it was really Rabbi Shimon Rabbi, then it couldn't have been Rabbi must have been Bar Kapara. The point is that they did this because they were particular with each other. Now, the, the next Mishnah says, in Mashchizin, Etazakin Biyomdov, we cannot sharpen a knife, and it would normally be done for Shechita, obviously, you could run one knife against another and sharpen it, but you can't sharpen it 
in the normal manner, meaning with a sharpening, uh, with, a, with the normal sharpening uh, uh, implements. Now, the Gemara says, That's only true if you're using a stone sharpener, but you're allowed to sharpen it against a wooden sharpener. When are you not allowed to use a stone sharpener only if you're sharpening it? But if you're trying to wipe off the fat, it's okay. This is the first version. The first version says that when it comes to a wooden sharpener, you can do anything you want, even sharpen the knife uh, to be uh, super sharp. When it comes to a stone sharpener, you're allowed to wipe the knife off on the stone. You're just not allowed to sharpen it on the stone. That's version number one. But some apply this teaching of Rav in the name of Shmuel to the latter part. When did we say a wooden that a wooden uh, sharpener is allowed. According to this, you need two uh, mitigating factors. It has to be a wood sharpener and it has to be just to wipe off the fat. But if it is a stone sharpener, you're never allowed to use it for anything. And even on a wooden sharpener, you cannot sharpen really, you can just wipe off the fat. That's the, um, that's the second version. Some take this t- the teaching of Rav Yehuda in the name of Shmuel and apply it to the Mishnah. That it said you can't sharpen a knife on Yom Tov. That Rav Yehuda is the name of Shmuel. That's only about sharpening. But to remove the fat is okay. Meaning that if you're, that, that the latter part of the Mishnah that says you can run one knife across the other knife, even the sharpen it is okay. In other words, according to this version, you can't use a sharpener at all. But if you're running one knife against the other, you can do whatever you want. You can sharpen it as much as you want. And some apply the teaching of Rav Yudan, the name of Shmuel, to the latter part of the Mishnah. According to this is the strictest interpretation. The Rav Yudan, the name of Shmuel, was talking about what you're allowed to do when it comes to running a knife against another knife. That you're only allowed to do that to clean off the fat. But to sharpen it, you're not allowed. Meaning you're not allowed to have anything to do with a sharpener and with an actual sharpening implement. And to run a knife against another knife, you're only allowed to do it to wipe off the fat not to sharpen it. So you have four different versions of what Rabbi Yehuda was saying in the name of Shmuel, um, ranging from a very lenient interpretation to a very strict interpretation. Just to review, the first version was, you can use an, a stone uh, sharpener for wiping off fat um, and, a, and a wooden sharpener for actual sharpening. The second one was that, uh, that uh, you can use a, a wooden sharpener for wiping off fat but sharp, not for sharpening, and a, and a stone sharpener you can't use at all. Third one is, you can't use a sharpener at all, but you can run a, a knife against another knife even to sharpen it. Fourth one was, you can't use a sharpener at all, and you can run a knife against another knife, but only to wipe off the fat, not to sharpen it. So that's the strictest of all. Who is the one who said that you're not allowed to use a sharpener, meaning a sharpening implement that you run the knife against? We know this is a famous machloket in the halachot of Yom Tov, that according to the Chachamim, only things that are directly food preparation are allowed in Yom Tov. According to Rabbi Yudah, even machshire ochel nefesh are allowed. Even things that are in, instrumental to, that lead to the preparation of food, like making a knife, sharpening a knife, making an oven, anything that leads up 
to the preparation of food is allowed also, according to Rabbi Yehuda. So obviously Rabbi Yehuda would allow sharpening a knife. Right? So, um, they have said in your name that the halacha follows Rabbi Yehuda. said, be God's will to call kihane mile malyata didurshun mishemai. May it be Hashem's will that that more wonderful things like this that there will be that uh, all the all wonderful things uh, like this would be taught in my name. Meaning, yes, of course, I'm very proud of that, and I wish there were more wonderful teachings in my name like that. Um, the Amar of Nehemiah Bored of Yosef Havaka Imna Kamedu Rava. Rav Nehemiah said, the son of Yosef said, I was once in front of Rava, Vahava Kama Avar, I saw he was running the knife, the Sakina, Apumad Dikula. He was running it on, along a basket. He was running the knife on a basket. Vamrela Lechadida, Vamrela And I said to him, Is the master doing that to sharpen the knife? Or are you doing it just to wipe off the fat? In other words, he wanted to know what his position was about sharpening knives. He said to me, I'm just doing it to wipe off the fat. But I saw, I saw that he was obviously actually sharpening the knife. He wasn't just running the knife to wipe off the fat. I saw that. So obviously he maintained that even though it is the halacha, that according to Rabbi Yehuda, and technically you would be allowed to sharpen the knife even, you know, you'd be allowed to run the knife along things even to sharpen it, but we don't teach that to the broad, you know, to the to the public because uh, uh, she says, because even Rabbi Yehuda only allows it when there was no way to do it before Yom Tov started. And if they know that it's permitted, they'll do it even when they could have done it before Yom Tov. And uh, they'll take it too far, so therefore we don't teach anybody this. Okay, another case, Vamar Abaye. Abaye told the story too. I was in front of the master, right? And he said, And he was running the, um, he was running the knife along the, uh, along the mill that you grind things with. He was using the out, you know, was, basically there was a vessel there that wasn't really a sharpener and he was running the, uh, he was running the knife against it. And normally uh, Abaye would be, uh, would be talking about Rabbah when he said the, the master, presumably. And so he said, And I said to him, Are you doing that in order to sharpen it? Or are you doing that to wipe off the fat? And he said to me, but and he said, I'm only doing it to wipe off the fat. I saw that in fact, even though he claimed that he was just trying to wipe off the fat, the reality was that he was actually uh, sharpening it. But he held that we cannot teach that to the public because even though it might be permitted, when there was no way to sharpen it before Yom Tov, people will take it too far and they'll sharpen it even when they could have done it on Yom Tov, they will, before Yom Tov rather, they'll delay it to the Yom Tov and therefore we don't tell them this halacha even though it happens to be true. Now, by the way, they asked the following question. Can you show the knife? It, you know, when, I, when there's a, shoch, a shochet was supposed to show his knife to the chacham, to the expert, to determine that it was... Uh, Kasher for uh, for doing shechita. This was something that they instituted in the times of the chachamim that they should always have to show their uh, their knife to the chacham. 
And the question was, can they do that on Yom Tov? Have the Chacham inspect their knife before they do Shechita? Or does that look too much like a public commercial activity to do that, since they're professional Shochatim? So, um, uh, says Rav Mori, Rav Bizna Sharei. For Rabbanan Asrei, the rabbis prohibited it. Rav Mori, the son of Rav Bizna, allowed it and the rabbis prohibited it because it looked like a commercial activity. For Rav Yosef Amar, Talmid Chacham, It says the Talmid Chacham can look at it for himself. In other words, he has the ability, he doesn't have to, uh, to defer to another Talmid Chacham to check his own knife. So he can check his own knife and then lend it out to those who need it. Since the checking is done in a private way, there's no public spectacle of it and the... Um, and therefore then the Shochet can take it and the Shochet can use it to slaughter animals on Yom Tov. This is how Rashi interprets the issue of showing the knife on Yom Tov. Other Rishonim have other interpretations of why uh, showing the knife on Yom Tov might be problematic um, for, uh, uh, for other reasons. But, in, it, but we're following Rashi for now. Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef said, If a knife stopped working, it stopped, it became too dull, you're allowed to sharpen it. But that's only if it could still cut with uh, force. In other words, if you push it, so uh, it doesn't cut, uh, Rashi explains, it means it's not, it's not sharp, but it's, it doesn't have an, it's not nifgema. It doesn't have a nick in the knife. It doesn't have a dent in the knife. It just is dull. So you're allowed to make it sharper that way. Um, Rashi says, even though this process of it becoming dull was a gradual process, and you could say that it was really, really could have been taken care of before Yom Tov. Because he probably thought in Erev Yom Tov that it was good enough. But if it actually had a nick in the knife on Erev Yom Tov, of course he should have done it before Yom Tov, because he should have known qualitatively, clearly, that he needed to fix it before going into Yom Tov. But something like a dullness of the knife, he might not have really paid attention to that, and therefore if he notices it on Yom Tov that it's not working so well, um, he uh, he can sharpen it, but that's only if it still will work with uh, with extra effort. If it's not going to work at all, and it's basically a broken knife, then he can't sharpen it on Yom Tov. Whether it's a knife, this was Rav Yosef, and some say it was Rav Yosef. Whether it's a knife that got a nick in it, so therefore it's not good for shachita anymore, or we're talking about a uh, a skewer that became uh, broken. That, uh, that the end broke. Uh, or cleaning out an oven or a stove on Yom Tov. We'll see what that means in a second. We entered into the machloket between the Rebbe Yehuda and the rabbis. Now Rashi says, what does it mean what, cleaning out the, the uh, oven? It's because um, its own like um, uh, mortar or whatever holds the clay that holds the uh, oven together like crumbled into it. And you didn't realize it before Yom Tov started, so you didn't have a chance to clean it out, and you want to clean it out. Tosfot says um, that, uh, he, he says, one interpretation is because that the cleaning out of it, what, the question is what melacha would be involved in the cleaning out of it, that you would need a special permission to clean out the oven. What's the melacha involved? So he says, one interpretation that was given by the Ri, by Rabbeinu Yitzchak, was that it's because you're smoothing out the ground, because the, uh, because, um, the floor of the, uh, of the oven was, was the ground, you're smoothing out the ground. He says, uh, he, said he rejects that interpretation. He says another possibility is that it's talking about a brand new oven, 
and by moving these this uh, dirt and this uh, extra materials that have fallen into the oven out, you're basically completing the oven, and that would be the issue of the melacha there. He also says another possibility would be a, a concern of muktzeh, but he says that you see a support for the opinion of the baleyatosafot of the ritzbav, the baleyatosafot that. Handling muktzeh for food preparation is okay because you see that that wasn't the issue here. It's considered a melacha. It's only an issue because of melacha because either you're completing the oven or because you're smoothing the ground, whatever it might be. But uh, the point is that all of these things, can you fix the skewer that broke? Can you fix the knife that actually developed a, a blemish in it on Yom Tov and therefore needs to be uh, fully re-sharpened? Uh, Okay, so it's a machlokah between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbanan. Because the the Mishnah or the Brayta says there's no difference between Yom Tov and Shabbat except for ochel nefesh melachot that are involved in food preparation. Rabbi Yehuda matir ab machshir ochel nefesh, and Rabbi Yehuda says even things that lead up to preparation of food, meaning even things that are um, pre- preliminaries to the preparation of food, like fixing an oven, like fixing a knife, and so on and so forth. What's the ra- what is the reason of the Tanakama who says that this permission is restricted only to food pre- direct food preparation? Because it alone may you may be done for you. Meaning the melachot that are involved in food preparation and not the preliminaries. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, the Pasuk also says, that these melachot of Yom Tov are done for you, for all of your needs. And that means even the preliminaries are permitted. What are the rabbis, what is the Tanakama, the anonymous Tana do with that word of lachem amalach ahu lachem v'lo nechuim. That's the teacher that you're only allowed to do melachan yom tov for yourselves, but not for non-Jews who don't celebrate the holiday. V'idach nami akitivu. What about the fact that it says who? Who means a limiter? So what does Rabbi Yehuda recognize as the limit here? If you're allowed to do any preliminaries you want, amalach tivu v'chitiv lachem. One pasuk says it's for you. You should do whatever you need, and therefore your need justifies even doing the preliminaries, even the melachot that are preliminary to food preparation. You're allowed to do. But it also says who, which means there's a limit. Rabbi Yehuda says simple. Things that you could have done before Yom Tov that are machshiri, that are preliminaries. You should have done them before Yom Tov. You're not allowed to do them on Yom Tov. But things that you need to do on Yom Tov, such as you weren't aware that the oven wasn't prepared and you have to sweep it out. You weren't aware that the knife, or the knife became damaged on Yom Tov. Any of these things, you're allowed to take care of them on Yom Tov itself. The skewer became broken on Yom Tov. You're allowed to fix it, according to Rabbi Yehuda. Uh, if, it, if these things happened beforehand, then you knew about it, then you wouldn't have the permission to do it on Yom Tov, even according to Rabbi Yehuda. I'm Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda said, If a skewer became bent, okay, squished, okay, it wasn't broken, but it's like bent and damaged, you can't fix it on Yom Tov. The, the uh, chidush is that even though you would be able, Rashi says, since you're allowed, you're able to use it the way it is, it's an unnecessary exertion. And the chidush is that even though you would have been able to do it by hand, and it wouldn't have been that, you wouldn't have even needed any tools, even though you can straighten it out just through your hands, you can't do it because it's functional without that. Once you have roasted meat, on this, uh, uh, on this uh, skewer, you're not. Allowed, it's muktzeh. Rashi says the fish muktzeh because it became disgusting and you don't need it anymore. So Ravada uh, Barava, and according to the Bach, it should say Amar Rav Malkiyo Amar Ravada Barava. 
Okay, and according to the Grad should say, um, also, it should say Rav Malkiyo, Amar Rav Malkiyo, Amar Rav that, uh, uh, in other words, reverse the names here. You, should, you take it out and you put it in a corner somewhere. Okay, Rashi says, you do it You do it indirectly by dragging it along the ground. So maybe, you know, you do it in some indirect way, you get it out of the way. Okay, That's only if there's still a kazayit of meat on it, because if there's not a kazayit of meat on it, then the whole thing is muktzen, you can't touch it at all. Okay, um, the Ram Ravinamar Afalpisha in love because a basar mutal tatlo Ravina is the most lenient. He says, even though there is no meat on it, you could still pick it up with your hand. Just like you're allowed to pick up thorns in the Rashut Rabim. In other words, that's a reference to the idea that obviously you can't carry in the Rashut Rabim, but, but there is a loophole in carrying because it's only a prohibition when you move something for amot in Rashut Rabim. So in an emergency, you're allowed to move something, let's say one or two amot, stop, one or two amot, stop, one or two amot, stop, and just not carry ever a full four amot at once. So you're allowed to do that when there's some dangerous item in the Rashut Rabim, some dangerous item in the public domain. You're allowed to move it. Here they give the example of thorns, but whatever the point is, something that is dangerous. Ravina says you're allowed to pick up this skewer also. You're allowed to do it just directly and remove it because it poses a danger to just le- just throw a skewer on the ground and just uh, or kick it or indirectly uh, you know shove it aside somehow without a direct handling. Um, and, and just leave it there on the ground. It's dangerous, so you're allowed to move it directly, according to Ravina. You don't have to go through all these um, uh, creative solutions. The son of Ravika said, There was one rabbi named Rav Malkio and one named Rav Malkia, and there were teachings reported in the names of, of both. And this appears several times, actually, in the Shas, this uh, exact discussion. Um, we've seen it before for, in, in Masachet Makot. It appears also in Masachet Avodah Zorah. We saw it also in Masachet Nidah. We saw it. Um, it appears in a couple of places we haven't been to yet as well. But this little piece is, there, the, there were teachings reported in the name of Rav Malkiah, some in the name of Malkio, and they wanted to clarify which is which. So he said, Shipud, this halacha, that you can knock the uh, skewer into the corner and leave it there, what, uh, was said by Rav Malkio. So was the halachav shifachot. Shifachot, the, the rule is that it, even if a person has a hundred shifachot, even if a woman has a hundred maidservants, she still should do some kind of a work and not just sit around and, uh, and relax. She should, the uh, housewife should still do work so she is not totally idle. And Rav Malkiyo said the halachav follows that opinion. That was Rabbi Eliezer's opinion in the Mishnah and, that, and Rav Malkiyo said the halachav follows that opinion. And gumot, gumot means that if we want to determine if a girl has reached the stage of puberty, for example, if she would have to go through the, the ritual of chalitza or uh, you know, other things that are dependent upon her being, having reached maturity, we don't see pubic hair, but we see two pores there that would normally have the pubic hair inside. That's enough of a sign because those pores would only be there if there had been hair there. And therefore, or, um, and therefore the, uh, the, the, the gumot is those little uh, pores that indicate that there was hair. Um, and Rav Malkio said that's enough of a proof of, of uh, puberty. These three halachot were said in the name of Malkio. Belorit, Belorit is 
that they would, the, the idolaters would have a special kind of a haircut where they had like a ponytail in the back. And if they came to you and you were a Jewish barber, um, if you cut their entire back of their head and left just that blurate, so basically you're facilitating their idolatrous haircut, you shouldn't do that. But you should leave space around the blurate that you don't cut, um, which is three, it's about three fingers of space on every side of that blurate, so you don't actually contribute to the, the uh, growing of this idolatrous haircut. Efe is that you shouldn't put on a wound ashes because it actually ends up looking like a tattoo um, from the, when it absorbs into the skin. And gvina, the rule that why don't we eat um, cheese that was prepared by non-Jews without proper supervision. Um, and Rav Malkia there said, because they put uh, fat of pigs, they grease the cheese with fat of pigs and that's why. But in any case, all three of those teachings were said by Rav Malkia. Okay. Rav Papa Amar Matnitin Umatnita Rav Malkia Shmata Rav Malkio Rav Papa says I disagree. Anything which is a Mishnah or Brayta, meaning where a comment is being made in a Mishnah or Brayta, those are Rav Malkia. And any case where it's just a statement, Shmata, a statement that's Rav Malkio. Vesimanech, and how do you remember? Matnitin Malkita. The Mishnah is a queen, and Malkiah sounds like feminine ending. It means like a queen. So it's saying that's how you remember. My Benayu, what difference is there between Rav Papa's list and Rav Chinenam Rav Ika's list of which teachings are attributed to which? Ika Benayu Shvachot. The difference is Shvachot. Rashi says, the Matnitini, because it is a commentary on a Mishnah, because it was Rav Mal, it was, it was a, a Halachale Maaseh, um, saying that we follow Rabbi Eliezer, that even if a woman has hundreds of maidservants, she should still work in the house, right? So we attributed it to Rav Malkio, but really, since it's a commentary on a Mishnah, it would be Rav Malkia. So we would take one away from Rav Malkio and add it to Rav Malkia. Um, there are, this is the way that Rashi interprets the conclusion of the Gemara here. But if you look here and in other places among the Rishonim, you find other interpretations as well that give something back to Rav Malkiyo to make, to make up for his lost, uh, his lost halacha. The Mishnah says, Lo adam basar. Don't tell the on Yom Tov, one should not say to the butcher, give me a dinar, a certain amount of money's worth of meat. Rather, he should just, without mentioning money, Divide up the pieces, and the money will be taken care of after the Yom Tov. What should he do? Ask the Gemara. He had besura amrei tarta upalgu tarta. Benarash amrei chalka upalgu chalka. Bepumbedit amrei uzia upalgu uzia. Benarpekod v'matamachasya amrei riva upalgu riva. That in each of these places they had certain segments of meat. It wasn't a um. It wasn't a. Uh, a, a, a correlated to a, a monetary amount, but rather you would say a certain type of a piece or a half of that. A certain type of a, it, in some places called a tarta, half of a tarta, or a chalka, or half of a chalka, or an uzia, or half of an uzia, or a, a, a riva, or half of a riva. In other words, they had terms for a certain quantity of meat. That's what you would ask for. And, uh, and you wouldn't mention any monetary amounts.